Neha, what's the tea? You mean the novelty? Welcome to The Novelty, a podcast dedicated to books. Not just the Western male-centric works from your high school lit class. We'll also read books by women, people of color, and from around the world. We'll dive into literary technique and character analysis. But don't worry, we aren't afraid to spill the tea and give our unfiltered opinions. Together, we'll redefine the classics. Will today's pick stand the test of time? Keep listening to find out. This week, we read The Night Watchman by Louise Eldrick. So this book actually won the Pulitzer Prize for 2021. It is about a group of people who are part of the Turtle Mountain Native American tribe. And uh, it kind of follows a couple characters in parallel. The two main characters are one is the Night Watchman. Uh, Thomas, who's actually based on Louis Erdrich's grandfather um, and his journey in trying to oppose this new amendment uh, resolution that would terminate the special or reserved class of Native Americans. And the other story is Pixie or Patrice and her journey to find her sister who's gone missing. And throughout the book, we meet a bunch of different characters. We hear about their journeys and their struggles. And by the end, we learn what happens with some of them and not with others. But overall, it's just, I don't, what did you think of the book? I will be very honest. This was a hard one for me to read. And for a lot of reasons, one of them being, it talks a lot about hard things that you don't really want to think about. And secondly, I think the amount of characters was a little bit overwhelming for me, where at the beginning of each chapter because you know how like game of thrones i don't know if you read game of thrones but there's like an equally amount of crazy characters in game of thrones but each chapter Mm -hmm. is like labeled Arya or john or whoever Mm -hmm. so like at the beginning of the chapter you know whose point of view you're reading through and this book is written with some chapters being like 20 pages long and then some chapters being like one page long Mm -hmm. and so it takes me like a while for me to figure out who's perspective I'm reading and then throughout the book they introduce a lot of other characters so I had to it took a while it took a good maybe 200 pages it's like about a 450 page book I think took me about 200 pages for me to finally be comfortable with the people yeah similarly I think I had the same issue with the characters but I just gave up (laughs) I think from the beginning I just focused on Pixie and Thomas and the others I just read about but I didn't try to focus on who they were but then Mm -hmm. when they came up later I was able to connect the dots and be like okay this person is this I honestly still don't know some of them like I know Juggy is somebody's mom but I can't Mm -hmm. remember which one because there's a couple of side male characters but overall I, I really loved the book I thought she is a really really skilled writer I never felt like I was reading something that someone wrote, if that makes sense. I was just Mm -hmm. immersed in the story. So much so that halfway through the book, I stopped paying attention to my theme. I I, like (laughs) At the beginning, I was taking notes and I was like, oh, the theme here. And then I realized by the end, I didn't pay attention towards the end because I was just so drawn into the story. But uh, yeah, we'll get into some of the like more difficult elements that come up. Um, What theme did you pick? This was 
so hard for me to pick a theme because I, with the with the namesake that we did last week, we'd already both read the book, so it was easy for me to pick a theme based off what I remembered. But this book, going into it blind, like I had no idea what it was about, or so I was like, oh, I'll know a theme when I see one. But like you said, I was so engrossed in the story that the theme was like an afterthought for me. And what I settled on was resistance. And mm. resistance because with the two main characters, Thomas and Patrice, with Thomas, it's obvious because he's resisting the bill that they're trying to pass. And yeah. with Patrice, I saw over and over again a resistance to marriage or love. She was always constantly picking like, oh, I need to be like a strong, independent woman. I can't I can't be in love with someone. And so she was always battling that and not wanting to fall in love with somebody. But I guess we'll we'll get more into that. Uh, well, my theme actually is a very good compliment to your theme. I picked really? the theme of power. Okay. Yeah, I picked it before starting the book. I just it, I thought it was a universal enough theme that I would be able to see it somewhere. But um, it's a good compliment to the theme of resistance. Can power and resistance mm-hmm. go hand in hand and oppose each other a lot of times? So, I, yeah, I just was curious about, like, who holds power? How is power taken or transferred? And um, what components go into deciding whether it can even be taken back by by other groups or other people? So there were a couple places I saw power that I thought was interesting. One was... It starts out that way. Patrice starts out very powerless with the description of her job and how dependent she is on it and her whole family and how unfair it possibly could be if she loses it because she takes a sick day and things like that. Um, And then also I thought it was interesting, the boxing rings and matches that came up. It talks about power there, too. And in the boxing ring, it was a good contrast to the real world because in the boxing ring power wasn't necessarily related to size. So in the real world, real world, a lot of times power is related to qualities that people have, like yeah. white, male, and just historical context. But in the boxing ring, it was more nuanced related to skill. Even the like smaller person could overcome with their skill. Even then, though, the power seemed to be external because in that big match at the end with or it's in the middle of the book, but it's the end of the boxing sub story yeah. uh, between Joe Wobble and Wood Mountain. Wood Mountain. He's about to win Wood Mountain, which would have been a great triumph for our main characters, but the timekeeper rings early. And so the match is kind of a bust, which is a little disappointing, but yeah, I saw it kind of everywhere. I, I don't know if we want to get into it yet, but the big thing that I noticed about power was that it kind of requires an understanding of, the person or the entity that is in power because comparing Patrice and Thomas, like with Patrice and her family, it felt like there was a lot of power with her father and his like negative influence on their life. Mm-hmm. But he's so unpredictable and changes so much his behavior that they weren't able to take any of the power from it. They just had to live in a constant state fear. of fear. Yeah. Yeah. Versus Thomas really works on understanding the, like enemy, so to speak, where he thinks about this guy who he says is a Mormon and he reads the text and he thinks about what that man, Arthur Watkins. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What Arthur Watkins probably thinks about Native Americans. And by doing that, he's really able to gather the resources needed to actually take back some power. Yeah. They, they both deal with that 
in very different ways. It is interesting, the dynamic between Thomas and Patrice, because their storylines, they don't really cross. Their paths don't necessarily ever meet at the end, which I always kind of expect whenever I'm reading a book that's in different perspectives, but that doesn't really ever happen, which is kind of nice because their storylines are completely different because uh-huh. Thomas is very focused on his job and being the night watchman and Patrice has a little hers is a little bit more complex where it's like she's looking for Vera she's dealing with her job she's dealing with her love and the baby and all of these things you would expect at the end for them to somehow connect but they're just they're treated as two separate things yeah that was the one thing I noticed that I don't know if this is a negative, but I felt like one of the weaknesses of the story, maybe, uh, of the book, is that it did feel like I was a little bit reading two stories. I wasn't exactly sure how Thomas's story and Pixie's were related, other than the the face value we're given that I think she's his niece. Yeah, so that was the one thing I was a little confused. And I honestly didn't really detract from the Mm -hmm. story. I enjoyed reading about both of their plot lines, but... I did feel like should it have I feel like I would have more? gotten a little bit yeah. more like satisfaction from the story if they're like oh, they're like one happy family now or you know like some kind yeah. of like positive connection between the two of them but I like you said I, I didn't bother me that that, nece- yeah. that they didn't necessarily connect in any way but, but again this like the namesake is a book that doesn't end happily you don't yeah. end it and feel oh yeah everything works out it ends mm-hmm. and you're kind of like well this all really sucks. Yeah. The ending was not open-ended, but there was a lot of things that happened in the book that were kind of left up to interpretation. With the whole Roderick storyline with Thomas, okay, this is going to make sense eventually. Like, yeah, I thought this is it gonna... was. I was constantly I... confused. Yeah, and then I was realizing midway through the book that I don't know if this was the author's intent but it all seemed like magic realism where things were happening that the main characters felt were real but doesn't make sense to the to the readers so as a reader you you're confused because you're like is this real obviously mm-hmm. it's not real so it's the the author's imagination and then with the whole like bucky's curse situation was that his name bucky who's bucky the guy who sexually assaulted pixie oh yes With the face. Yeah, yeah. Mm. They made it seem like because of what he did to Patrice or Pixie, that he became cursed. And that's why he he was having physical, like his face was drooping and because what he did was bad. But like in reality, he probably had a medical condition. And Mm -hmm. Pixie and her family just thought this was karma for like Mm -hmm. doing something bad. But they never actually fully explained those things. So even though the end wasn't open-ended, like there were all these questions that were kind of left unanswered in the beginning of the book because we still don't know exactly what happened to Roderick. No, I was waiting for it. And even until the end of the book, the last chapter, I was waiting for some kind of tie-in or explanation and it didn't happen. But yeah, there are a lot of spiritual elements throughout the book or things that happen that don't make sense. And there's kind of like, some of the characters are kind of haunted by things. Mm-hmm. Like Thomas seems very haunted by what happened to Roderick. 
And also he has a lot of experiences at night when he's at work where he sees an owl, which is then an omen for something. And he thinks he sees someone breaking into the plant, but maybe they're not. And Pixie is kind of haunted by her dreams and what's happening to Vera. Yeah. So I don't know. I kind of felt like that separated them from the other characters also, this spiritual connection that they had. Because even Pixie's mom, Zanat, I don't, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. She it seems very in touch with their traditions and rituals, but she doesn't seem haunted the way that Pixie is. It seems like she's more in tune su- with it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They talk about how her mom also has these visions or dreams about Vera and her situation. But it is interesting that they brought magic realism into the book. You don't see that a lot. I've only ever read one other book that has that whole magic realism thing. And I was all, I was very intrigued by it. I was surprised to see that in this book. That's not very common. Yeah. And the way I was reading an interview somewhere with the author where they asked if she would consider her work magic realism, because that's how some people describe it and she just said that she doesn't really think of it that way because she just describes experiences that people have and whether or not she's able to explain them they're still there so she was like whether you want to call that magic realism or not Um, but it is interesting to think about it that way because we're so used to thinking of things as fact and this book is kind of putting everything right in the middle where we don't really know what's real. We don't know what people are experiencing. And I guess that adds to the overall feeling that the author tries to create with, especially in the first half of the book, when we're still trying to figure out what happened to Vera and it kind of is going back and forth and the characters go back and forth between the reservation and Fargo, Minneapolis, like a couple of big cities. Yeah. Speaking of which, what, what were your reactions I can only imagine a couple <laughs> to a, a lot. Of, there's a lot of violence in this book, especially like violence towards women. First of all, before I answer your question, explain to me the whole Patrice in the cow costume. Because I was me. very confused by that. Yes. <laughs> I was like, what does this mean? Like, honestly, I had such a hard time visualizing that part of the book because I, I didn't understand it. I, yeah, so Patrice, when she first gets to the city, she gets into this cab with some shady character. And immediately in my head, I was like, no, what are you doing? Don't get in the car. But I actually wanted to comment on that. When that first happened and she starts meeting these questionable characters, yeah. it reminded me of the Lincoln Highway. You're totally right. Except in the Lincoln Highway, the characters they meet seem shady, but turn out to be all right. Yeah. But in this book, it just it's takes a opposite. really dark turn. Yeah. But it reminded me of that for a minute. So because we we read that together earlier this year, and because I had that in my head, I was like, oh, maybe it's okay. Like, maybe it'll turn out to be that way. But I don't know. And then she goes and in the acknowledgments of the book, the author says that it was based on a real story of a woman. Yeah, I read that too. Yeah, was put into like this kind of situation where it's not exactly being like prostitution, but almost. I don't know. The whole thing made me feel very, very icky. I th- that whole which, which city did she go to again? They just called it the cities, right? I don't remember either Minneapolis or Fargo. But when Pixie was in in the cities 
I was very on edge because something's something bad's gonna happen. Luckily, she she escaped whatever bad was going to happen to her. That part of the book is when you kind of realize that something bad happened to Vera too. And to go back to your initial question with the whole Vera situation, I think it took me a while to actually either come to terms or understand what happened to Vera where I'm like, she probably ran away with her husband and like, moved to another city. Yeah. That I was premise for the, a lot of the book is everyone thinks she just ran away with the, her husband or eloped. And then when Patrice came to the conclusion that, shoot like the ship situation she's realized what was happening to her that was so dark that chapter i think is just a page and it's terrifying i know to read it's like so horrible and i think this book is so sad because it goes through so many different kinds of violence like every kind of violence towards women almost Uh, not every kind there's there's so many kinds but it goes from you know, Bucky and his friends, like these boys that Pixie knows and are essentially trying to gang rape her. And then all of this that happens with Vera, where she's pretty much tortured. And this thing that's in the middle that a lot of people maybe would not call sexual violence with her being the water jack, but really it is. And her and Zanat and the father who's like, we never actually see him. They they insinuated that just based off the way that the fear that they put into the whole family every single time the father was close by that, you yeah. know, that relationship was not good. And so that's probably another reason why I, with my going back to my theme that I saw so much resistance in, in Pixie because that whole relationship with her father is probably one of the biggest reasons why she's resisted marriage is she knows that it it may not end well, or that she doesn't trust men. That's the root of her reason for not ever wanting to be in love because of the way that her father treated her yeah what did you think of pixie as a character and like her journey because she one of the things is she really wants to be called patrice and everyone calls her pixie and i didn't know what to make of that but i was thinking about it because we had just talked about names and identity Mm -hmm. with the namesake and her journey kind of is interesting she i think there's like you're talking about you talked about resistance with marriage and love and things like that but she also craves attention like there's a lot of things that she does where she kind of wants to have an experience with the boy and then even at sometimes with the water jack and that whole situation she kind of enjoyed the attention in a strange way and then she sleeps with the bear which I knew had some kind of significance, but I couldn't figure out what it is. So what did you think of, like, everything that she goes through? So Pixie, Pixie as a character, I sometimes was a little bit turned off by. And I think the moments that I was mostly turned off by her was the the parts where she was hanging out with her friends, Valentina and Mm -hmm. uh, Doris. Doris. Yeah. Those situations where it was the three of them she's she has some negativity in her about them like she's like jealous in some way or just doesn't feel as good as them or sometimes even feels like she's better than them and those are the situations where you know you're not being a good friend to these people or maybe they're not being a good friend to you but then if that's the case then why are you still hanging out with them with the whole Barnes being in love with all three of them and then when uh, Valentina and Doris are like oh like we kissed Barnes and and then Patrice didn't like that and I was like well you he liked you first and you said no what's your problem here Um, yeah she's very confused about these 
these like love interests and even with wood mountain that was a thing i noticed is I d- like, you know, when you watch a rom-com and like the girl and guy finally get together and it's like a good feeling, everything feels wrapped up. But I didn't really feel like that with her and Wood Mountain when it yeah. happened. I was like, OK, this kind of makes sense because they sh- is foreshadowed at the beginning. You can tell when he sits on her next to the bus and the baby, yeah. all of that. But then obviously at the end, they are not together. Yeah, Wood Mountain's, like, more into Vera. That's weird. I mean, that's probably not good for Pixie's self-esteem at all. Uh, I thought that was weird. But with the bear thing, I also thought that was... First, I thought that was another example of magic realism. Like, maybe this part isn't real. The significance of that happening was related to her father. Constantly being in fear, but being comfortable living in fear, because that's how she grew up. Mm. That's kind of how I related the the bear situation because obviously that's a scary thing to do but she was comfortable yeah that makes sense there's a lot of parts in the book where people are very physically doing things or involved like pixie chops wood a lot um wood mountain makes a cradle and then thomas helps make the grave for the father so there's a lot of physicality and i want i was wondering what you thought of the part where she almost goes blind because she like has this infection and then they were like you would have lost your eyesight but then she regains it and she suddenly sees everything clearly and from a literary perspective when someone does that in a book it means that they haven't seen things clearly and now they're seeing clearly but what did she see more clearly that she shouldn't be with wood mountain at first when they brought that part up I thought it was work-related because it was to do with her work was a strain on her eyesight and then something would happen with her work situation. But mm-hmm. then when she started regaining it, I was like, this, I'm, I'm, I'm so confused right now. But maybe it was that she realized that she felt an attraction to Wood Mountain. But once she saw that Wood Mountain was good for the baby and therefore was better for Vera... Maybe that was it, but I, I, I mean, I don't think I could answer your question confidently because I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I think, I, I think that's what it is because that's when she starts to realize that there's something going on with Vera and Wood Mountain, yeah. which also confused me because wasn't there a scene in the middle of the book where some man Henry saves Vera, yeah, and then Henry. marries her, and then they got married. Yeah, yes. I was. I, they didn't address that at all. And that was another thing that I was waiting for them to explain because Henry basically saves Vera and then she marries him. They don't explain it, but then she just like shows up with the and then sees the baby and then like her and Wood Mountain are living happily ever after. Wait, well, what happened? And what to happened the, to the man? He didn't yeah, I was like, what happened to Henry? Like, was, yeah. But maybe Henry was is a symbol for something that we're missing out on in some way. But I was also confused by that. Or maybe Henry wasn't real or like he was real, like somebody did save her. But maybe she imagined a lot of the other stuff because she had been so out of it, tortured for so long. She needed to like dissociate into something that was more hopeful. Yeah. I don't know. What did you think of the ending? I thought the way they started describing it, I thought Thomas was having another stroke. Because they started describing all these colors and things he was experiencing. But then immediately after, in the epilogue, she says, oh, by the way, he was fine. And he fought for the Turtle Mountain Indians. 
Yeah, that was all. I think maybe that was another example. That's that's like that's like the thing with this book is that like it just like goes in and out of like the spiritual magic realism or not whatever her intentions were. It goes in and out of it so seamlessly that you as a reader are confused on what's real and what's not real. It's like you end the book and you're questioning, was that part real? I don't know. Yeah. Um, did you have like a passage in the book that you thought stood out? Yeah, so this is from Thomas's perspective. He is in the city. A disquieted disgust gripped him like the onset of an illness. As he walked along, it got worse. He was very large or very small, could not decide which. The absence of shadows, the flat surfaces of Fargo's buildings and sidewalks did not help. He felt it coming, wanted to duck, winced. A sensation like when he was chastised at school gripped him like when he went into a bank or bought something expensive in an off-reservation town, their looks pressing down on him, their words flattening him, their eyes squeezing him. I see, for shame, as his mother used to say. But it was so much worse in English, the word shame. It made him curdle inside. And the curdling became something hard and sour. It became a black sediment he carried around in his stomach, or a thought that stabbed so hard he might cast it out in a flare of anger. Or it might stay there, hardening even further, until it flew up into his brain and killed him. That's such a powerful passage. Some parts of the book, I was so busy trying to figure out what was going on. I almost forgot how beautifully written this entire book is. But when you read that passage, it like really stands out how great of a writer she is. Yeah, she's really using like every tool at her disposal in such a masterful way. She's like so visceral in her descriptions mm-hmm. and she uses comparisons with like the senses and even the way if you analyze this passage by itself, the way she flows through it, she alters her sentence structure and then it builds. She has like very short sentences that build into long sentences that culminates with the shame flowing up and killing him. So it's just done really well. Yeah, that's a that's a good passage to to pick out. Maybe now we can filter the chai and talk about how we thought the book was overall. All right. What did you do? You think that this book will stand at the test of time? I think so. I think it does a really good job of. First of all, it's just a good book. I think also it talks about a period in Native American history that we don't really know about. That isn't focused on a lot. I think everyone talks about smallpox and the wars and that's more distant history. And then just like with a lot of other racial oppression, we don't talk about the more subtle institutionalized discrimination. And I think this book does a really good job of bringing that out and showing how easily it can be done from a systemic point of view and how much that it can impact individual lives. Yeah, I agree with you. I To answer that question, I would say yes, too. I feel like living in the United States, there's so much about Native American history that we should know about because this is their land. It's a big part of the history of this, this country. Reading the book, I found myself Googling a lot about it, language things and tribes and just in general, just it, it, it spiked my interest into learning more. If it does that with me, then it would be great if it did that for other people as well. So out of 10, I gave it an 8.5 and I subtracted one point for the structural reason that I felt like the stories were in parallel rather than 
conversing with each other that we were talking about with Thomas and Pixie. And then the other half point was because I thought a lot of the characters didn't have much of like a development arc. We follow them and we know what happens to them, but then there isn't like growth, either positive or negative, the way I would expect from a book. But then now I'm saying it, I'm thinking maybe that's the point. Like the characters don't really have any agency and that's part of what she wanted to portray. So maybe I'll go up to a nine. I'll do nine <laughs> out of ten. <laughs> okay. What I, about you? I gave it an eight on ten. Um I don't wanna I don't wanna dismiss the other characters that were in the book because I'm sure that they gave a lot of meaning to the plot line or maybe they maybe symbolize something that is just going over my head that I that I don't necessarily see um directly but I feel like I would have enjoyed the book a lot more if the storylines were more focused to Thomas and Patrice and I'm very big on character development like you said and those all those side characters because there's so many of them didn't necessarily develop in a way that I felt satisfied they just kind of seemed like an accessory to the main characters Hmm. that's interesting I felt the opposite really yeah I loved having all the characters and I felt like it painted a more complete picture of this community for me and even though the characters didn't have like a growth arc the side characters they were still really well depicted and fleshed out and like three-dimensional characters yeah that's the biggest difference between me and you too is that you like short stories I don't want to use the word hate, but I strongly <laughs> dislike short stories. I like short stories, but I also really love long books. Like, my yeah, favorite yeah. books are, like, the thousand-page books that follow a bunch of characters but through their for, lives. For me, I, I don't think there's a single short story book that I would recommend to someone as a book that I liked. Because I, I need that character development, that having, like, a short story that's, like, 30 or 50 pages isn't enough that's fair have you read the yellow wallpaper no i haven't you should read it it's more of a novella than a short story but that does a really good job of character development in a really short time span i think that's the skill in short stories and like novellas is being able to do that very shortly but anyways we could do that maybe in the future yeah tell me your shelf discovery okay my shelf discovery is very obvious and now that you explained that Louise Eldrick's intention wasn't necessarily magic realism, I think maybe this isn't the best recommendation anymore because the book that I'm recommending is purely magic realism and it was intended to be that way. But it is, it does have a lot of other connections just based off its family ties as well. But it's 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriela Garcia Marquez. Have you read that book before? I've tried it twice (laughs) and not been able to get through it. I love that book. It's one of my favorite books. Really? Yeah. I see see the connection, though. I see why you would recommend that. Mm -hmm. I have uh, only one book that I thought was similar, and I thought of it in the middle of the book. So I don't – it's not that similar in the story structure. It's called The Bean Trees by Barbara Kingsolver. It's one of her more off-the-track books. I think she's famous for a lot of other books, but it's about a young woman who she's either in poverty or um, she kind of loses her home and she has to go through like 
very small towns in America and the wilderness. And she ends up taking care of this baby that is not hers. Um, but just the way that she meets these different characters and kind of this connection to a smaller community felt similar to this book. Um, and that one, if you read The Night Watchman and you feel sad, The Bean Trees is a little bit more light and hopeful. Okay. So that would be a good one to follow. Yeah, I haven't read that book. Maybe I should add it to the list. So uh, next week we're going to do a pair. We're going to do like a compare and contrast we picked. Because you had mentioned The Vanishing Half, that you liked that book. Mm-hmm. And when you were describing it to me, I was like, oh, this sounds kind of like Passing by Nella Larson. Um, so I'm excited because you've read The Vanishing Half before and I've read Passing before. So we'll each be rereading one and reading one for the first time. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. See you guys next time. Thanks for listening to The Novelty. We are your hosts, Neha and Trithi, and our music is created by Apurva Koti. We love to hear from you. So send us book recommendations, episode commentary, or even critical feedback. You can find us on Instagram at thenovelty.pod or email us at thenovelty.pod at gmail.com. Until next time, happy reading.